Infirmary Media. Art. People engage in stuff for jeweling decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Jeweling decades. Hoop culture, popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet and sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Jeweling decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York studios, it's the adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history, we just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. I am Mark James, and this week I'll be representing July of 1980 alongside this week's other duelers. First off, dueling with July 1970, he is the one known as Man Crush. Hey, what's up? I'm back. It's uh, got off the schneid, you know, losing for a month in a row, maybe more. I don't even fucking know. But I won because I wore the podcast New York shirt. However, I got marinara sauce on it today. So we'll see if that changes my luck. I don't know. Hopefully not. <laughs> also returning to the panel this week is the host of the One Headlight 90s podcast, Dueling with July of 1990. Please welcome back to the show, Drew Zachman. How are you guys? I am beyond excited to be here. Thanks for having me back. You're welcome. <laughs> we love having you on here. We're, we just had this conversation with somebody. Uh, oh, I, I was talking to Tawny Katane, which is bizarre. She gave me her phone number and said, call me so we can set this up. So I, I talked to her yesterday. Super nice lady. And she wanted, She said, she goes, wait, are there other stars on or is it like normal people? And I was like, yeah, that's just us normal people that are on this side of the glass. But then I was explaining to her that we use like the same people. So we have to explain the rules over and over and over again. Nobody wants to do the research. So we get people that do the research. And Drew's one of those people. So we thank you for coming on. And as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So he's back, ladies and gentlemen, the brazen badass from Beantown, the host of the Selling Out Show, all rise for Judge Dave Schultz. Hello, hello, hello. I am back, and I'm honored because lately it's been all celebrity judges, and me just being a Joe Schmo, this almost makes me a celebrity by default, doesn't it? I think yeah, so. I like that. Yeah. I'll take it. I like it. You're going to see people at your job, and they're going to be like, are you Judge David Schultz? They're like, goddamn <laughs> right I am. You want, you want an autograph, kid? <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie after all five rounds, we will go to a final wild card round. All right, duelers, free your mind, and the rest will follow. It's time to play more. Dueling decades. I always love. I love those intros. You, you always do a, a phenomenal job, Mark, with those intros. Thank you. I appreciate. Remember how them. hot that video was? Oh, oh are you kidding me? <laughs> In Vogue had some smoking video. Okay, everybody, everybody, hit pause. all right so let's go right down to judge dave schultz for the official coin toss 
All right, Man Crush, you won the last episode. So for this one, me and Drew will compete in the coin toss. Drew, why don't you call it in the air? Tails. You don't even know what I brought to flip, man. It's not even in the air. This is not, yeah, it hasn't even been explained. But here's the great thing about it is every time I've judged in the past, I brought something new or unique, something I thought was kind of cool to, in fact, flip. But I'm uninspired and completely lazy. And I think it was the last time I was on, I brought the VHS clamshell for Flipper, starring Paul Hogan and Elijah Wood. So I think, I, 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 yeah, I figure I'm just going to stick with this from, from here on in. Wait, who was shirtless on the back of that? There was a shirtless guy or something, right? Uh, no, no, that was something different, I think. This one just has, oh. on the back, well, on the back it does have, I think we t- discussed uh, Paul Hogan taking a shower. I think you're gonna say shit. Yeah, <laughs> I never saw. Well, I never saw that version. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's that's the one that came out. <laughs> yeah, I think that was called that was called flip her. <laughs> that's why he needs the shower. Flapper. Yeah, and on the back we also have Elijah Wood here. He's doing a little tango with Flipper. So, yeah, I think this is gonna be my go-to from now on. But now that's explained, uh, Drew. You said you wanted tails. Yeah, give me that back. Give you the Elijah back. Wood doing tango. All right, here we go. Up in the air. Oop. Oh, crap. Oh, shit. You just me. knocked equipment over. <laughs> yeah, I know. Holy mackerel. But you know what? It is Tails. Elijah yeah. Wood doing the tango. There we go. All right, Drew Zachman, you won the coin toss and take control of the board. Oh, I'm going to take control, and I'm going to go directly to hot products. Because this product is, in fact, hot. And I am talking about, and you guys probably know what I'm talking about. So I have July 1990, right? July 30th. In the year of our Lord, 1990, was one of the best days ever because guess what, guys? The very first Saturn was built, which wound up being a red 1991 model year Saturn SL2. Uh, it was originally going to be called the Saturn PD, which stood for a panty dropper, but uh, the Mazda <laughs> Protégé already had that moniker, so they had to go back to the SL2. Uh, but these Saturns were made right here in the United States of America in Spring Hill, Tennessee. And this car, the SL2, massive hog. It had a glorious 1.9 liter engine. And if you went with the uh, single overhead cam, you would crank out a mind-blowing 85 horsepower. Or Woo! slightly quicker than my John Deere tractor at home. Although at least my tractor at home also cuts grass. Um, there was also a double overhead cam option available, which pulled in, guess what? 123 horsepower, kids. That's right. Uh, now, it was very fuel efficient. Uh, it did reach 40 miles per gallon on the highway, so there's that. Uh, now, the SL was a uh, a four-door sedan, but if you decide to get crazy, you can get the SC, uh, which was a two-door coupe. And then if you wanted to impress the ladies, and I know you wanted to, and you totally would with this, the SW was a five-door station wagon. So, ladies Hell and yeah. gentlemen, I give you the hottest product of all time, probably, Saturn <laughs> SL2. Was that the model a uh, friend of mine in high school had one? Weren't they made out of plastic, right? Yes. Like the uh, the yep. outside. Correct. Somebody kicked somebody kicked his fender and put a hole in it. Oh, really? And he had that that <laughs> cracked. Yeah, this it must have been it was like maroon. I can still picture it. It was like a It was like I feel like shit. like 90% of them were either like maroon or like teal. Yeah, oh, they had to be teal. It was like one or the other. All right, so for my hot product, uh, we're going to go over to newspapers.com and the News Herald from Port Clinton, Ohio, in a newspaper dated July 5th, 1980, in an article whose headline reads, Those new Star Wars toys may not be big sellers. 
A new series of Star Wars toys are coming out, but toy retailers doubt the new ones will sell as well as the previous ones. People are becoming a little more discriminating about what Star Wars things they buy, said Kerry Sullivan, manager of Children's Place America. Within a month, the figure who, who trains hero Luke Skywalker, Yoda, will be out. Also coming out will be uh, the Hoth Snow Planet playset. Uh, that's one of the ones that's coming out. I remember this. This thing was awesome. Because when the Empire Strikes Back toys came out, that's when you get the Hoth play set. You got all of them in their snow gear. It was a great set. And of course, I think they were wrong on this, as these toys did sell very well, if not better, than the original toys. So that's going to be my hot product. It's the 1980s Empire Strikes Back Star Wars toys they had 23 other figures that were going to be added to that line by September, but some of them had already been on the shelves by uh, July. They said in the article that Star Wars fans are becoming a little more discriminating in what they buy. In 1980? No, I don't think so. You slap Star Wars on anything in 2020 and people will buy it. What were you saying there about uh, it's coming out in September? The remaining 23 new toys are scheduled oh, to be on okay. the shelves by September. Gotcha. But right now, in stores, what we had was uh, 10 new figures in the set of the Hoth Ice Planet. So if I have to go with one, I think the Hoth Ice Planet was the hottest, even though it was covered in ice. So that's my hot product. Man Crush, over to you. All right. So let's go July 4th, Independence Day, 1970. Going way back, 50 years ago. And I'm going to go a little bit outside of the box to this hot product. It is the 70s after all. And what's better than a free hot product, right? Uh, last week, Independence Day here, I was flipping through the channels and I landed on Kelly Ripa and Ryan Seacrest. And they were talking about this particular show's 50th anniversary. And we're talking major legs here on this one, Dave. Well, Kelly Ripa. <laughs> and uh, yeah, good Ryan point. Ryan Seacrest, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Her legs are always shiny for some reason. Uh, but this this show right here, it's absolutely legendary. It's a staple of American pop culture. It's the radio show that gave us the best-selling and most-played songs from the Atlantic to the Pacific, from Canada to Mexico. And I won't beat around the bush with this one. It was the debut of Casey Kasem's The American Top 40. And that started on a Los Angeles radio station and six other stations to begin. But this show is so nostalgic. I had to pick it right here. It's it's such an incredibly nostalgic show. They still run Casey Kasem episodes on the radio to this day. Just last Sunday, our classic rock station around here, they were playing the original American Top 40 from 1985 in its entirety. And like unlike watching like a rerun of a TV show or like rewatching an old movie, listening to old radio, at least from like the 70s and 80s and 90s, it it's like putting yourself in a time machine. Because the audio is just as crisp as it was when they recorded it. So you don't even like get the feeling that it's something old. You just, and it's really eerie because Casey Kasem is dead, of course, but like he's doing this entire show and he's, you know, doing it just like he delivered it, giving you a little bit of trivia in between each, yep. you know, in between each song. And then, of course, you get the, uh, the long distance, what were they called again? The long was, distance dedications. Long, long distance, distance dedication, dedications. That's right. Have you ever heard the outtake of one of the long distance dedications where he had to read a letter about uh, somebody's dog dying and then transition into something else? 
and Casey Kasem loses his shit on the air. And he's like, what? What do you mean? I got to read a letter about a fucking dog dying? <laughs> yeah, look it up. There's some great Casey Kasem outtakes. It's incredible, man. <laughs> well, anyhow, like I was saying to Dave before, the show does have legs. Of course, Ryan Seacrest stepped in for Casey Kasem. He was the hand-picked guy back in 2004. Uh, Casey Kasem did the show from 1970 to 1988. And then Shadow. Yeah, the B-movie action star, oh, Shadow Stevens. I love yeah. Shadow Stevens. Yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> and he got it till uh, 1995, and then they stopped it in 95, and then they brought Casey back in 98, and he ran with it until uh, 2004. But the great thing about the show is initially, the, like, the industry people, they thought that Casey Kasem and the co-creator at the time, Don Bussany, that they were just out of their minds. Because towards the end of the 60s, top 40 music was not popular on the radio anymore. Like, the format was just not good. Uh, but by the 80s, this show was, like, world-renowned. There were people tuning in every week to listen to him, you know, do that trivia in between and just give you those long-distance dedications. Just classic radio. And today, it's carried on over 500 stations around the world. And that all began on July 4th, 1970. And actually, I tracked down the initial top 40. And number one was Mama Told Me Not to Come, which is a very bizarre song, but a, a bizarre song title, rather, by uh, Three Dog Night. Um, but then on this list, you had the Rolling Stones were on here. You had Elvis at nine with The Wonder of You. You had the Beatles with The Long Winding Road. So it was a really iconic list as well for the first show. But that's what I have. America's American hmm. Top 40. Casey Kasem. I love that show. Let's go down to our judge, Dave Schultz, for the ruling on the Hot Products round. Well, I can't get over Shadow Stevens because that guy was awesome. I don't know why he still doesn't do it. I mean, he spelled his name with an E at the end. He's like, I'm Shadow without a W, as if anybody was ever curious about that. But Have you ever seen his straight-to-video movies? They're fucking great. Are they? No, I, I haven't had the opportunity to see those. But yeah, 1970, Casey Kasim, the top 40. You know, here's something I, I have a question for you about. Because as far as a hot product goes, it is very nostalgic, and it brings back a lot of memories. Obviously, everybody was ooing and eyeing when you brought this up, but it's not something you'd ever bring home or something you can keep. Sure, you can bring it anywhere you go. It's a product that goes with you forever. <laughs> it goes with you forever and ever. <laughs> Even beyond the grave, it's still with you. Casey's still here, bro. Casey will always be in our hearts. He will always be in our hearts. And actually, or you no, can just turn on WPDA. She'll be on Sunday. Well, let's look at some of the other hot products here real quick. 1990, the Saturn. And oh, yeah. I love I love it when I still see a Saturn on the road because I imagine that dude's driving with a 30 rack of Red Bull in the back. <laughs> Just living his best life, you know. But, Drew, did you happen to catch how much they originally cost? I did not. You suck. I do. Because I believe it was very affordable. I'm going to guess nine $9,995. Wait, that was your official guess? That's my official guess. Uh, nine, 9,995. <laughs> All right, 1980, Empire Strikes Back, uh, Hoth Ice Planet. I don't have a lot of nostalgic feelings for this because I didn't own a lot of Star Wars toys. I was that one kid that I eventually, in my youth, I found an Ewok in the sand at a beach, and I thought that was cool, and I kept it, and I was like, wow, I finally have a Star Wars toy. Some other kid left his behind, so it's very tragic and scarring. But, um, yeah, I don't know, guys. This is tough because, like I said earlier, I was, I'm was i kind of like wavering on the, the Casey Kasem really being something as far as a product. 
it's more it's like a, an entertainment I, I, thing, like a TV show or a movie, or you know what I mean. But it's it, you can't fit into TV or movie. I, I know mean, it's, it's tough. It's a radio show. It's tough. Yeah, I can't pass that up. No, you can't. And for that, I cannot. I, I can't pass it up either. I'm going to give 1970 the win on this one. Hang on one second. I'm trying to find the the price of those cars because I'm actually. I know, me too. This is this is an article from July seventh, and it says the sixty mile per gallon subcontact prototype. Uh, it became a thirty five mile per hour. Uh, so I guess when it was a prototype, it was a six thousand dollar car, and then when it came out, it was a and it was a sixty mile per gallon six thousand dollar car. And when it came out, it was a thirty five mile per gallon ten thousand dollar compact. So that nine thousand nine hundred ninety five, right on the fucking money. Pretty good. Prices righted that shit. Well, it doesn't matter either way because much like your mustache, Casey Kasem gave me the warm, fuzzy feelings, and you come away with the win. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see what happens here. All right, man, crush. You take control of the board and get to select our next category. All right. No liberties on this round. We're gonna go to television in 1970. So we got uh, July 8th, 1970, and obviously this being July. We're not going to get any new shows starting in 1970, and we're not going to get any shows that ended in 1970 in July. Cable is barely a thing right now, so we get summer replacement season, uh, which, like, all the fall shows are on hiatus. So this is a time where the networks get to experiment a little bit, and ABC decided to do a 10-week summer series that will feature guests from the music world. And that show will be called Johnny Cash Presents the Everly Brothers, which is a bizarre name since Johnny Cash only appears on the first episode of the show. But it's the 70s and shit was just weird. So uh, basically, it looks like the show. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Live at Daryl's House that was out about 10 years ago. Okay, it's kind of the same deal. Like musicians come in, they shoot the shit and then they just jam out. Nothing too crazy, but the lineup of guests that they had for a short-lived show that only lasted 10 episodes, and it was it was a 10-episode buy, so it wasn't like it got canceled. They were only meant to do 10 episodes of this, but it's a who's who of like amazing talent. It's Stevie Wonder, Tina Turner, Linda Ronstadt, Kenny Rogers, Ricky Nelson, Arlo Guthrie, Neil Diamond, Albert Brooks, the Statler Brothers, and a bunch of others. Uh, so that's it. July 8th, you get the premiere of Johnny Cash Presents the Everly Brothers nice. on ABC. I love shows like that because you get a little bit of the music, a little bit of the story behind. And it, it was like a weird setup. That's why I, I really I went back to live at Daryl's house because the setup looked the same. It was like this old cabin looking house and they yep. were just sitting around. I saw some clips of it on YouTube and it was kind of cool to see the Everly Brothers playing with um, Johnny Cash in that first episode. But there's not much. You can't go back and find this, but it's it's 1970 in the summer. What the fuck do you want for television? So that's what I got. All right, so for my television story, man, we're actually going to go with the lack of television in the summer of July 1980, because as fate would have it, on July 21st, we got a yet another writer's strike in Hollywood. And while that was going on, we also boycotted the 1980 Olympics. So all that television coverage from all the networks canceled at the last minute during a writer's strike. So we really didn't have too much TV. So what happened was the television viewers may face a, a fall season of reruns instead of new shows as a result of a July 21st strike that has shut down most TV and TV production across the United States. Now, one of the big arguments 
before this was, as Mancrush mentioned, the incoming of cable television and pay television services. What they ultimately wanted was to receive revenues each time these TV shows or movies get showed on cable. Plus, with the uh, new invention of VHS sales for movies and television shows, actors wanted a cut of that. It didn't end up getting resolved until, like, September, but it completely altered how the fall TV season and how the summer TV season, or lack thereof, kind of unfolded. Uh, I went through all the TV shows, everything, reruns, reruns. The only thing that was live was sports, and, of course, we didn't have the Olympics, so we had to come up with the Liberty Bell games that uh, President Jimmy Carter decided we were going to have an alternate Olympics, and they put about $10 million into that. I couldn't even find anything about TV coverage for that. When did they decide that they weren't doing the Olympics in 80? I don't even know. Uh, it was in 79, I believe, that they decided. Oh, really? I thought it was like a knee-jerk reaction or whatever. I didn't even realize it, it was, was like at that. first, and then all of a sudden, we had all the countries boycotted, and then all the TV stations boycotted. Hmm. So that's what I got. The lack of TV for TV, summer of July, <laughs> 1980. Oh, you got fucked in this category, didn't you, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh my god. At least he came with something. I, I remember yeah. doing an episode once. I think it was Carlos. Who had nothing to pick and just skipped the round. He's like, yeah, I have nothing. Like, you got nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's the beauty of this game. Even nothing is something. It's something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, let's go over to Drew Zachman. What do you got for this round, man? All right, I have a staple. It was a sad day. This show was a staple in my house during my childhood. And on July 6th, 1990, this particular show actually ended. And I am talking about one of my favorite shows of all time growing up, Pinwheel. I don't know if anybody ever pinwheel, watched that. Pinwheel, pinwheel, spinning around. There you go. See, this, and the song. Pinwheel and see what I found. <laughs> see? You know the song. I fucking hated that show because of oh. that damn song. Shut Oh, sh you shush. I'm 42 and I still remember it. That's how bad it was. No, that's how impressive it was. That is how impressive <laughs> it's it was. Exactly. There are a total of 260 pinwheel episodes from 1977 to 1984. And then the show continued in reruns until 1990. Uh, now, the show, I don't know if anybody doesn't remember what the show was about, but it was kind of similar to Sesame Street. Uh, they had some like action scenes that took place in and around this kind of like large house. Uh, which was the pinwheel house. Uh, it had a pinwheel, of course, on one of the peaks. This is called pinwheel. Uh, it had live actors interacting with puppets. Nothing at all to bite off of Sesame Street at all, but um, <laughs> it was still pretty cool. And, and they talked about, like, you know, various topics and concepts, like for, you know, that you would find in children's programming, like sharing, being considerate, environment, wearing fucking masks, um, you know, things like that. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> Where are your fucking math? <laughs> uh, it remains the longest running Nickelodeon show in episodes and hours on air. So it's uh, it's in the record books, man. And of course, the theme song, you already knew the theme song. That's that's how good. And you talk about legs, Dave Schultz. This yeah. song has some of the best legs in the world. Fucking awful. Pinwheel ending. I can't. Uh, it's. I'm glad you explained it because I didn't remember anything about the show. But I, as soon as you said pinwheel, I, the song just came exactly. to my head. Yeah. Exactly. See, I don't remember the song. All I remember 
is a group of annoying kids just going, Powell! <laughs> they, they could barely speak English because they were like five. And there's like a group of like 50 of them. And they'd show a pinwheel, and that was like your intro to the show. Yep. It was a bunch of kids just screaming, Powell! <laughs> so they had marbles in their mouth. Just went to the dentist, got a little Novocaine. Like if there wasn't a picture of a pinwheel on the screen, you would have no clue what these kids are screaming about. <laughs> All right, so let's go down to Judge Dave Schultz for the ruling on the television round. Okay. Uh, wow, this is a very interesting one, to say the least. Uh, pinwheel, I don't really have many recollections of this show. Maybe I burnt too many of my brain cells away in the 90s, and thankfully that just erased from my memory. But, Drew, here's the thing. Is the show ended, but you mentioned it was in reruns for many, many years before it was finally taken off the air. Correct, yeah. It had the original episodes are from 77 to 84, and then after that, until 1990, they went to reruns. So it was still, it was still there. But for six years. Six glorious <laughs> years, Drew, I think he meant Drew, to say. Drew had the longest summer replacement season ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 1970, Johnny Cash presents the Everly Brothers, a variety show that I do not remember at all. Before doing your research, did you remember it? Well, I was not born in 1970. So I know, but wow. I mean, you never even heard about it. Like, there was no old timer on a porch saying, oh, I remember that show. <laughs> no, nah, I'll be 100% honest. When it, when it comes to 1960 through 1979, I have to do extensive research. I was born in 78. So, like, mm, a lot right, of things, you know, nobody really talked to me about what was on television shit. And as far as variety shows go that I found so far in, like, the 70s and 60s, they made them all the time. It was like, there's tons of them. So, you know, it was just, and Johnny Cash had his own show before this. So they, I figured they'd just try to like, you know, strike iron twice or whatever and, you know, do another one. But again, it was only done for 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like it was done and canceled. They just did this 10 week, uh, you know, experiment. And then that was it. It was over. Yeah. And then, Mark, let me tell you, man, I have so much respect for you. I was kind of busting your balls earlier. <laughs> but, I mean, the fact that you really didn't have any TV and yet you still presented yourself as such, like you had, you, you're just selling it so well. I'm, I'm truly impressed. <laughs> I really am. And now I'm actually curious. I'm going to start Googling the Liberty Bell games because I've never heard of those before. Yeah, it was an utter disaster. Even the athletes didn't even enjoy it. They only got a budget of $10 million from the government, and it was kind of thrown together at the last minute. The track looked like shit. There was only a few hundred people in the stands. There wow. was a Billy Beer chug-off. <laughs> that would have been even better, man. If they, they Sack just races. Had, right. They could've, it could have been like the Greek games from Revenge of the Nerds, only four years <laughs> earlier and way cooler. But it wasn't. But it wasn't. So I'm going to give the victory to something that has... Actually, I don't want to say it because you guys say it so many times on this show. It could be a drinking game. You know, you know, what I'm alluding to, right? Oh, of course, it's got legs. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Drink, but I mean, we got to come up with something different, something else that kind of like is the essence of longevity here. Besides, you know, you your know limbs. what? I'll, I only say it now just to like just to be <laughs> a dick. Oh, okay. Because like even when I do say it, when you're not the judge, I'm yeah. thinking of you because you're oh, the great. only one that ever says like. Ah, it's got legs. 
Yeah, no, I, yeah, we got to come up with, with something else, something clever, and we'll put it on a T-shirt. You guys can sell it. It's really a long bucks. cock. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> hold on there. But no, I'm gonna go with um, I'm gonna give 1990 the win here, just because there's a lot of people out there. You guys yeah. even were singing the songs together, and it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really? No, it was just me. We weren't singing it together. That yeah, been well, weird. no, Mark did his pinwheel or whatever. He did his. <laughs> I got stung in the lip by a bee rendition there. So, but yeah, but I mean, there's a lot of kids out there who must have lasting memories of this show and learn something very important and valuable that they took with them later in life. So, therefore, 1990 will get the win in this category. Pinwheel! <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Drew Zachman, you win that round and get to select our next category. Where are we going for our final one point round? Uh, I am going to go with news. Uh, July 26th, 1990. It was, a, it was a busy day with world news. And while I really wanted to talk about everyone's favorite soap opera, or as my aunt likes to call them, um, my shows, because uh, she watched like fucking seven of them. I don't know how. Uh, General Hospital recorded its 7,000th episode, which begs the question, how the fuck do people actually have this much free time? Um, but I'm going to skip that one. And instead I'm going to talk about something moderately more important. The Americans with Disabilities Act was signed on July 26, 1990. And, uh, if you guys aren't familiar with the ADA, it's a civil rights law that prohibits discrimination based on disability. And one of the great things about it, you know, it covers both mental and physical conditions, uh, under five titles, so employment, public entities, public accommodations, telecommunications, and miscellaneous provisions. And there was a little bit of pushback on it from, you know, some companies and churches because they didn't, a lot of them didn't either want to spend the money or didn't have the money to help accommodate people like building ramps and things like that. But uh, I do think that this law that was uh, signed by President George H.W. Bush uh, is just fantastic. Uh, and it's I think from one of the things he said, if I'm not mistaken, he said that uh, this was probably his proudest moment of, uh, as being a president was actually putting this law into uh, into effect. But yeah, it's awesome. It, it, uh, it requires covered employers to provide reasonable accommodations to employees with disabilities and imposes accessibility requirements on public accommodations. So yeah, this was uh, it's a big deal. And uh, Lex Frieden was one of the architects of legislation. He was actually paralyzed after a car accident. And live life in a wheelchair after that and, and face discrimination himself. And he said the ADA wasn't about health necessarily. It was actually more about civil rights. So it was awesome. And and also, right, so Bush, what he did, you know, back then, he was getting a little bit of pushback from the right. But he was like, no, nah, this is like the right thing to do. Uh, so he kind of bridged the gap between, uh, you know, the left and the right. And he got everybody on board with it as best as he could. And that's how he... Uh, Sign this into uh, into effect. So July 26th, not General Hospital's 7,000th episode, but the Americans with Disabilities Act was signed. All right. So to piggyback off of that pick, I'll throw out my uh, news story. We're going to go over to the Jackson Sun in Jackson, Tennessee, July 25th, 1980. And I wanted to pick something that was a, a fun, happy news story. Summer of 1980, like I talked about with the uh, TV strike, wasn't a whole lot going on that was good news. There was a lot of infighting and arguing. Not much different than there is today, really. But I found this little blurb in the newspaper. It's in Wacoogan, Illinois. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. 
You're a patient in the cardiac intensive care unit at Victoria Hospital. A Playboy bunny approaches your bed Thursday, tucks a napkin under your chin, and serves you chicken saltambuca. Of course, the cardiac patients were also examined to be sure that they were able to take any, you know, extra excitement, said Terry Lowe, director of the food service at the hospital. Lowe started a gourmet food program eight months ago for the hospital's 400 patients. And on this day, the chef from the Playboy Mansion, Charlie Mays, came with the bunnies. They all served chicken salt and to the patients. This was my news story, man. I just wanted something feel good that people were doing nice things for other people. And if you're laid up in the hospital, man, what better than to have gourmet food served to you by a Playboy bunny? What what is saltabuca? I, maybe I'm like not sophisticated enough, but that sounds more like a disease. I don't know, but he also said the chef came, so I, right. it could be that. <laughs> All right. Well, it's a sautéed boneless chicken breast served on a sautéed eggplant covered with a slice of ham and cheese. How fucking impressed am I? I don't think it was boneless, bro. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a lot of sautéing. That's what I got from my news story. A little bit of feel-good news. Man Crush, let's toss it over to you, man. All right, so let's go July 12th, 1970. Again, like Mark said before, went to newspapers.com. That's where I do most of my research. So I noticed a few of the newspapers, they're all starting to talk about this new technology that was launched and it was creeping its way around the United States. So here's a little highlight from this article from the Daily Press, which is out of Newport News, Virginia. I don't know, how far is that from you? Is that far from you? Yeah, it's not too far, a couple hours. All right, well, I'll drop something to see if you know the, the place that I'm talking about here. But, uh, This is the little quote from that. It says, uh, the 1970s will be, experts say, the era of communications. The biggest upstart movement in the field right now is cable television. What is cable television? Well, cable television could bring 40 or more channels into the home with programs ranging from network specials. Now, listen how dated this is. (laughs) To an ad from a butcher down the block for choice sirloin that the housewife could order on another channel from her home (laughs) communication center, which is provided by the same cable. Here's a look at the present state of upcoming cable television and its possibilities. That's the end of that quote. I mean, it's wild. This entire page of the newspaper, it's all dedicated to cable television. And the marketing guys from the paper were geniuses because they knew dudes would be reading this. That's why they mentioned housewife in there because they were just like, this is going to be a dudes thing, cable TV, sports, and like, you know, porn or whatever but i mean that's what they did because on this same page they put all the smut movie ads also so in case you wanted to know you can go see the movie carla uh quote unquote who lives in a triple x dream world at the downtown in newport news i don't know if mark if you're familiar with that at all but uh that's on the same page uh but just to be as upfront as possible uh cable had already been around for roughly 21 years at this point in 1970 but it was still like relatively underutilized. I mean, up to this point in the 70s, the FCC had they, they placed all kinds of restrictions on cable TV because, of course, like the local television stations were like staunchly against having these like the competition from cable because they just could not keep compete with that. All that being said, on June 25th. So this is not part of my story. I can't use it, but uh, I'll throw it out there. On June 25th, the FCC proposed that cable systems will be allowed to import signals from other viewing areas into the top 100 media markets, which is basically 90% of the population in the United States. 
So come July, everyone's super excited at the possibilities. That's why it's in all the newspapers. Everyone's talking about cable. And this is my story right here. So they, this huge article, the print is so tiny that I had to like go over this thing like four times. It was so hard to read. But they, they made these like, this is what will happen if you have cable. Check these out. So this is what they, they thought was going to come up. One day, everyone will, be wa- everyone will have a walking television station where you will wear a little antenna and you will be able to broadcast and see other people's broadcasts. The other one they said is you'll have armchair shopping. Then this one's especially good. There will be a soapbox channel for politicians. Hmm. Wow. Uh, there'll be video telephones. Uh, newspapers and bills will be delivered via facsimile into your living room. Uh, cable will be hooked to your home computers. And you can order directly from commercials. If you see something you like, you hit a button on the remote and it orders immediately. So almost 50 years ago to the day, this article is talking about all these things are possible now. Wow. And they just, they were like, oh yeah, you'll, you'll be able to do that. Every single one of those things, 50 years ago, they, they figured out. Nice. Like someone just brainstormed those. I like the facsimile into the home. Yeah, that one was a little bit off. I mean, they were, they were a good like 20 years I would rather to have that, actually. I think that'd be fantastic. <laughs> you want to get your bills via facsimile? It's like, ah. <laughs> ah. The dot matrix. I only, I only <laughs> want it on a dot matrix printer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go down to our judge, Dave Schultz, for the ruling on the final one-point round. All right, let me go through these in order. Uh, 1990, the ADA, you mentioned, Drew, that Bush, that he claimed that was his most uh, proudest moment during his term as president. Is that correct? Yes. You know why, right? Because it was a really good thing that he did. Well, that and he didn't kill fucking Saddam, so he couldn't brag about that now, could he? (laughs) I mean, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I yeah. Okay, uh, 1980. Yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, let's move on. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, 1980. Mark, I'm so impressed that I didn't know what Saltabuca was, and you came equipped, ready to rock and roll, and you like laid it out to me layer by layer what that dish is. That was very impressive, and I appreciate that. Now you're going to have to order some, get it delivered to your house, so you can enjoy it while listening to the show. Only if you were dressed up like a Playboy bunny, my friend. Come and fade me. That might be able to be arranged. I bet you it could. You get the softest hands around. That's fucking weird. It is weird. Uh, so anyway, speaking of weird, let's go on to 1970. Man Crush hit us with a story about the potential that cable would bring to all of us. And it was a good story and everything. But like you mentioned, it wasn't like cable was invented that month or or anything like that. It was more just like an article for some dudes to enjoy. And I did enjoy it. Gave a lot of backstory and depth. Yeah, to you it. know what? Like it's 1970. The news in the 70s is pretty harsh, and I wanted to skip all that. So, like, that's where I went. And if anybody wants to know what you were just talking about with you know cable and everything, 1972 is kind of where everything takes off because that's when you get home box office. Right. So, but I have 1970. So there, that's where you get. All right. Now to make my decision. This is a tough one for me, okay, because I am always filled with absolute rage when I see someone park in a handicapped spot and they have the handicap placard, yet they get out of their car perfectly abled, but I think Drew came with the most historically important piece of news with the signing of the ADA in 1990. 
Oh, snap. I can accept uh, that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Excellent work, Drew Zachman. You pick up a point and take control of the board, heading into our first two-point rounds. Where are we going? All right. So uh, I'm going to go to music, I think. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's do music here. So, July nineteenth, nineteen ninety. There's a small album. Uh, it's not the most popular album out there, but I feel like the legacy this started and has left uh, far surpasses any sales numbers. And you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. So I am talking about the album called Apple from a band called Mother Love Bone. Now. Mother Love Bone was established in 1987 by former Green River members Jeff Amon, Bruce Fairweather, Stone Gossard, and Andrew Wood, who was previously in a band called Malfunction, and then their drummer, Greg Gilmore, who was previously in a band called uh, Ten Minute Warning. Now, uh, Andrew Wood had a very, uh, just an absolutely amazing stage presence and was destined for fame, unfortunately. Uh, Wood also had a history with uh, with drug abuse, and he wound up dying literally just days before the album was supposed to be released in March of 1990. Uh, the release was then postponed to, as I said before, July 19th, and Wood sadly was only 24 years old. So, Kim Neely from Rolling Stone said that the album succeeds where countless other hard rock albums have failed, capturing the essence of what made Led Zeppelin immortal dynamics and giving it a unique 90s spin. Now, uh, in 2016, Rolling Stone ranked Apple 18th out of the top 40 greatest one-hit wonder albums. Obviously, it was only a one-hit because Wood died before the first album was even released, so they didn't record anything after that. And in 2019, Rolling Stone ranked Apple 50th in its list of the top 50 grunge albums. Now, like I said, while this album might not have sold like a Garth Brooks album in the 90s, uh, its its legacy with the ripple effects uh, just massive uh mother love bone was one of the first grunge bands in general besides green river which paved the way for the grunge movement you know bands like nirvana alice in chains soundgarden uh pearl jam amit and gossard as i saw about pearl jam amit and gossard went on to form mookie blaylock which eventually became pearl jam uh wood's roommate some guy called chris cornell who obviously went on to be in soundgarden also audio slave uh, but uh, Cornell teamed up with the Pearl Jam folk to create a band called Temple of the Dog, which was basically a band created kind of as a tribute to Wood, and they released one album in 1991. Now, Wood was also good friends with Allison Chain singer Lane Staley and their guitarist Jerry Cantrell. Uh, they dedicated their debut album, Facelift, to Wood, and also their song Wood, which is spelled W-O-U-L-D, question mark, off their Dirt album was actually dedicated to Andrew Wood. And uh, one last trivia bit before I stop talking. The song Far Behind from Candlebox was also written about Andrew Wood. So there you have it. July 19th, 1990. Apple from Mother Love Bone. Drew Zachman dropping the knowledge. I didn't know that about Wood. There you go. Nice. Yeah, he was, I mean, that's the whole like grunge. I mean, it's, it's kind of the sounds, but it's also the fact that it was all happening in Seattle and Wood was such a central role in that. And he was, you know, good friends with a lot of, with all of those guys pretty much. And they all kind of were a tight knit group. And when he passed away, I mean, they, I think Cantrell still talks about it now and it definitely uh, haunted Staley as well. So, yeah. Wow. All right, man crush. What do you have for the music round? All right, let's go to uh, July 16th, 1970, and we get the privilege 
of receiving this band's fifth studio album, arguably their best album. Uh, for me, it's their best album because growing up, this I had it on vinyl. Well, my sister did. But when she started buying cassettes in the late 80s, she basically gave me all of her albums and all of her 45s. Anyhow, uh, this this one right here, it's an all-time classic album. You could still hear this being blasted from my neighbor's garage in the middle of the motherfucking day. I've never spoken to him before, but I could tell you, he really enjoys this album. It's the perfect album for day drinking. So I typically picture this dude sitting in his garage drinking Miller High Life while listening to this. And let's see if you agree with me when I when I say it. But this album right here, it has no bad songs. There's no filler songs this album. It's good all the way through. It went to number one on the Billboard 200. It featured three singles. And the funny thing is the B-sides to these singles are just as good, if not better, than the single itself. The first single you had, it reached number two on the U.S. Hot 100, which you had in the 70s. And that was Traveling Band. And the B-side of that is Who Will Stop the Rain? And then the second single they had, which reached number four, was Up Around the Bend. And the B-side of that was Run Through the Jungle. And then the third one, it reached number two. Uh, was looking out my back door. And the B-side of that, as long as I could see the light, was fucking incredible that these are B-sides to this. That's that's pretty fucking stellar. The album went four times platinum. Uh, Obviously, it's an American classic. It's Cosmos Factory by Creedence Clearwater Revival. I mean, just check out this track list here. You got Ramble Tamble, Before You Accuse Me, Traveling Band, Ubi Doobie, Looking Out My Back Window, Through the Jungle, up around the bend, my baby left me. Who will stop the rain? Then you also had the cover of I, I heard it through the grapevine was fucking amazing. And then long as I could see the light closes out the whole fucking thing. And then on the 40th anniversary, they added a couple more tracks to it. I just don't remember what they were, but I think they they did like a remake of Traveling Band. I think. Do you have that one, Mark? Oh yeah, that's one of my all time favorite albums, and it's one of the only albums I can think of that features an exercise bike on the cover. Yes, <laughs> very fucking weird. <laughs> picture i remember having that in the album and who's actually on the bike i don't remember who that was it might have been fogarty but i'm not it sure. might have been because he i mean it is like directly in the front and it's like right. one of them old school exercise bikes where it's an actual fucking yes. 10 speed <laughs> oh man good shit but yeah that's what i got cosmos factory by ccr my neighbors probably listen to it right now drinking that fucking high life <laughs> All right, so for my music selection, we're going to go over to July 25th, 1980. This is the seventh studio album by this Australian rock band who recently, unfortunately, had to replace their lead singer because their original lead singer, Bon Scott, unfortunately passed away. The album, of course, I have is Back in Black by ACDC. It's one of the greatest rock albums, one of the greatest heavy metal albums of all time. It's been in all the lists. It came in at number 26 in Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 100 best albums of the 80s. The title track itself ranked number 190 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time list. So this album's legacy just stands up on its own. You talk about track listings, Man Crush, Cosmos Factory, amazing. This album, just as amazing. We have Hell's Bells, Shoot to Thrill, what do you want to do for money, honey? Give a dog a bone. Let me put my love into you. Back in black. You shook me all night long. Have a drink on me. Shake a leg. And rock and roll ain't noise pollution. And much like when I selected Bad Company, 
a few episodes back, and I talked about how they classified that as one of the greatest heavy metal albums of all time. Back in Black is two. And what's really cool, for two albums that are some of the best heavy metal albums of all time, two of the most danceable songs. So on this one, Back in Black, you got, of course, You Shook Me All Night Long. Your neighbor's probably playing that in his garage, too, right after Cosmos Factory. Because that's in, like, you go to any dance club, oh, no, it's, any party. it's strict Cosmos Factory. Is it? Straight through and repeat. Wow. On blast. Yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't like it. When they uh, hired Brian Johnson in the band, they went over. They went down to Nassau in the Bahamas to record this album. Um, it was produced, of course, by the legendary Mutt Lang. They were having a lot of tropical storms. And, of course, the album opens with some bell chimes to commemorate the loss, of course, of Bon Scott. Out of curiosity, anybody here know how many times the bell chimes? 872 times. 33. 32. Correct. No. <laughs> it is 13 <laughs> times that the bell chimes just, for Bond Scott. I just price is right of them. Yeah, and for that little cool side story, they wanted to get the right bell sound, and, you know, just a recorded bell, like stock or something, didn't have the right, so they actually paid to construct a one-ton bell, actually forged. They would bring it on the road with them, they actually used that in the recording of the album. The bell wasn't even ready yet. They tried to use a similar bell that was at a church, but that had like birds living in it. So they brought a portable recording studio to the foundry, mic'd up the bell with like 20 different mics. That's how they recorded it for that album. So ACDC yeah, is back in black. That's what I got for music. When I was in Iraq, um, I had this staff sergeant every time we went on a mission. He played Hell's Bells. We had this radio speaker that was part of like our, it was a, it was a radio that was never used. It was a fucking worthless piece of equipment. So you can hook up like a radio to it. It's just like regular speaker wire. Yeah. And it was actually pretty loud. So like leaving the gate, every time we left the gate was fucking Hell's Bells nice. or Highway to Hell. Like either, you <laughs> know, one or the other, but yeah, fucking crazy. So it's got some special meaning. Yeah, I have a, a trivia question. Does anybody know which relief pitcher would always come out to that song, Hell's Bells? Ricky Vaughn. Nope. John Rocker. No. Ah. John Rocker just came out to booze. If it wasn't. <laughs> Especially in New York. Armando Benitez. <laughs> no. Raleigh Fingers. Also no. Fernando Valenzuela. <laughs> That'd be great, but no. <laughs> nah, Trevor Hoffman. Oh, ah, San Diego Padres, yep. You would think I'd know that. He had uh, he had Hell's Bells, and then Mo had uh, Inner Sandman. Yep, that that's right. There you go, trivia. All right, so let's go down to our judge, Dave Schultz, for the ruling on the music round. Okie dokie, smoky, 1990, the lineage cannot be denied of Mother Love Bone. Uh, Drew spoke passionately about the album and its history, and I truly appreciate that. That was a nice little history lesson, plus you are the trivia master, apparently. Now... Let's look at 1970 and 1980, and I'm combining them because they both have many similarities with the albums just being complete bangers and a lot of hits off of each record, but both lead vocalists really had no range. Do you know what but, I mean? But they both had distinct voices. Right. This Which, is true. No, absolutely. And that's, that's correct. You don't, but, you don't really need the range. If you have like that sound, that's yeah. your sound, you know? Yeah, but I mean, I don't know, man. It's just like... If if a vocalist has no range, can never like kind of get out of the comfort of his of his box, if you will, 
to me, it's just kind of lazy. I don't know. I, I, I always want to hear dude, a little bit John more Fogarty style. Was got some style, bro. I mean, he even left went solo and did well. And John Fogarty is still kicking ass today. I follow him on YouTube. He's got his own band now with his family. It's like his kids, and he's and still he can play playing. guitar too. It's incredible. Go check him out. Yeah, they just played. There was like, was it PBS was like showing. Uh, the fireworks on the 4th of July in D.C. Yeah. and Fogarty and his kids were playing. He, he was playing guitar. It was like a guitar made out of a freaking bat because he was playing center field. I'm like, dude, that is awesome. <laughs> that is pretty fucking dope. <laughs> I am old. My kids can play. I, I get what you're saying, though. I get yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like if you did, you know, the, the John, John Fogarty and Brian Johnson both, you're right. Their voices are very distinctive. You can recognize them right off the bat. But at the same time, any song is virtually interchangeable. In the way that they sing it. And that's always uh, kind of bothered. Uh, ah, yeah. Depends what? on the speed uh, of the what? song. Depends on the speed of the song. There's, ACDC is one way. I don't mm-hmm. think you'd say that about CCR. With the slow songs and the fast songs, there's tempo changes that make the, the song sound differently. So I mean, that's kind of hard to say. His voice still sounds the same to me, man. I mean, it it's his if voice, you speed it up or dude. slow it down. That's what I'm Eddie saying, though, man. His voice sounds the same. I mean, you're not going to shit on him. <laughs> well, hey. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not. Even though you're kind of tying it back into Mother Love Bone a little bit with the invention of Pearl Jam, thanks to that. Um, but, listen, I'm going to pick my final choice here. And, and, again, I'm teeter-tottering right now. Apologies to Drew. Between 1970 and 1980... But when I think about, like, if I go to a live sporting event or basically anywhere, I'm more likely to hear Back in Black than I would Cosmo's Factory. I mean, unless I'm at Man Crush's house chilling with his neighbor. You don't even <laughs> have to chill with him, dude. He, You could hear it from my house. Uh, Miller High Life, bro. <laughs> is he cranking on the stereo system on his Saturn? Is that what that is? <laughs> in his garage? I could just picture him outside with a boombox. <laughs> <laughs> it's like say anything. He's playing Cosmos <laughs> Factory, trying to get you outside. Uh, I'm actually going to pick 1980, and Mark will get the win with some ACDC. Hey, don't don't you think Brian Johnson sounds like Donald Duck? Sometimes he do, he really does. Like I mean, I love I love how he he does that, but like sometimes I'm just I listen to the songs and I'm like, man, that's fucking Donald Duck. He's fucking rocking. He's really getting it. Yeah, and what most people don't <laughs> realize is that's a falsetto. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Towards the later years, it wasn't a falsetto, and that's why he's not singing anymore. A voice like Brian Johnson's can only be created with a fine mix of excessive amounts of whiskey and Paul Malls. <laughs> so, I mean, come on. All right. So, looks like we're going to head over to the movies round. All right. So, for my movie, you know, I looked around summer of 1980. The best I could find was actually a remake. And I know how we hate remakes on this show, but I have to bring this one up. It's a remake of a movie from 1958 called Zero Hour. wonder if you guys have figured this out or not. But we're going to go to an article in the Red Dover Advocate in Alberta, Canada, July 26, 1980, where it talks about the movie Airplane. Of course, yes, I have one of the Man Crush 3 here on the yes. shelf for my movie selection. I can't even get them. <laughs> So in the article, it says uh, Hollywood success brings instant benefits. Airplane written and directed by Jerry Zucker and his brother David and their boyhood friend Jim Abrams opened in theaters July 2nd. The next day, they found they had meetings scheduled with 17 executives and producers, several of them who had turned down Airplane at least once or twice. 
During its first week, airplanes sold more than 7 million in tickets. The high-spirited parody of a disaster movie which cost $3.5 million has been extravagantly praised by the critics. And the article goes on to talk about the rest of their careers, and they have an interesting quote. It says, uh, we'll keep our next movie below $30 million, David Zucker said. Uh, we'll work for the next 10 years on $30 million easy. The final embellishment is uh, Mr. Abrams, who's 37, and he said, you know, we'll probably keep our whole careers under $30 million. I went back and looked. Naked Gun, one, two, three, Top Secret, all of those movies under $30 million. They split after a while, though. Right. Like, they did, like, their own projects, which was... I mean, they were still good. I still like most of Like, I actually still like them all. Top Secret, or, yeah, Top Secret with uh, Val Kilmer. Yep. That one. Yeah. Eh, all the other ones I love. Yeah. But that's my pick. July 2nd, 1980. It's the all-time comedy classic, which I still to this day can't believe it's rated PG, Airplane. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? <laughs> All right, Drew Zachman, what do you have for the movies round? So, uh, I am um, glad you went with me next because I have another Jerry Zucker movie. Now, July 13th, 1990, uh, a date that everyone remembers well, because that was the day we all wanted to take a class in pottery, thanks to our good friend Patrick Swayze. So I am talking about the legendary movie Ghost. Yep. Now, uh, as we as I mentioned before, this was directed by Jerry Zucker of Airplane fame and also Top Secret. Uh, this movie grossed over $505 million on a budget of $22 million. Under 30. That's right. That $505 million back in 1990 equates to almost $1 billion today. Uh, I think it's like around a little over 990 million. So yeah, pretty awesome. And Ghost was the highest grossing movie of 1990, uh, beating out classics such as Home Alone, Pretty Woman, Dances with Wolves, Total Recall, and of course, everyone's favorite, Kindergarten Cop. Uh, at the time of its release, it was the third highest grossing movie of all time, which is pretty crazy. Received five nominations at the Academy Awards and won two for Best Supporting Actress for Whoopi Goldberg and Best Original Screenplay. Honestly, this movie is straight up fucking awesome. I love this movie. I feel like I watched it when I was a kid and I was like, eh, maybe I just wasn't paying attention, but I watched it, I don't know, you know, like 10 years ago. And I was like, this movie is legit. Like, it's really good. Uh, Patrick Swayze is amazing. I miss him dearly. Uh, Demi Moore was awesome in this. I also appreciated uh, Vincent Chiavelli. Yeah. His little uh, cameo that he had in there. I, I always uh, love when, when he pops up in movies. And also, if you're around in 1990 and had a radio, you more than likely heard the revival of a 1955 classic from the Righteous Brothers called Unchained Melody. Uh, amazing song, and its placement in the movie is Flawless, which in 2004, it was ranked number 27 on the American Film Institute's 100 Years 100 Songs survey of top tunes in American cinema. And that song came back, hit number 13 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. So this is 1990, so Shadow was telling us about this song. Um, but yeah, pottery, the pottery scene. Yeah. I mean, this movie had everything, uh, awesome flick ghost. There you go. Ditto. <laughs> All right, man crush. What do you have for the movies round? All right. So let's go, uh, July 15th, 1970. And if you're a fan of such gems as Cobra, American Ninja, last American Virgin, which our previous guest judge, Diane Franklin stars in a matter of fact, over the top and blood sport. Then this pick is for you. Because back in 1970, the Cannon Group released a film starring Peter Boyle that was their first 
real hit within the American market. Because without this movie, who knows what we would have gotten? Like our childhood favorites that I just listed and all the other ones. We might have never gotten if we didn't get this movie first. So in typical canon fashion, the budget for this Oscar-nominated movie was $106,000. $106,000. However, it still went on to become the 13th highest grossing movie of 1970, taking in nearly $20 million at the box office, which is about $132 million in 2020, which is an excellent haul for a politically charged drama, especially for a movie that was done on a $106,000 budget. That's $700,000 in 2020. Just think about that. That's phenomenal numbers. If a movie in 2020 made $132 million off less than a $1 million budget, people would be losing their fucking minds about it. It would be winning all kinds of shit. Uh, and this is also the film debut of Susan Sarandon. So I'll throw that in there. The movie we have here is Joe. Mark's already nodding his oh, head. Yes. You were always going with this. <laughs> and if you've never seen it, I'm going to spoil it right here. No, so don't skip, spoil you, it. You could skip forward 30 seconds. I'm going to give you this. This is like the uh, the man crush fucking overview of the movie. Right Here's the rundown. Susan Sarandon gets full frontal right at the start of the movie. Her boyfriend shoots up heroin. Sarandon overdoses. Her rich dad kills her boyfriend. Then he goes straight to the bar and he meets his blue collar, hippie hating racist, Joe. Joe figures out that her dad killed a hippie and immediately wants to become best friends. They hang out a couple times. They bang a couple hippies. The hippies steal their wallets. Then they leave. Joe and her dad go and find the hippies and they kill them all. His daughter then walks into the hippie hideout where the massacre occurs and her own dad unknowingly shoots her in the back. The end. That's Joe in 30 seconds. Amazing film. I mean, it doesn't sound that amazing when described that way, but I'll tell you, man. And again, we bring up remakes and how much we hate remakes. This is a film I would love to see a modern remake on. You don't even need to. You can go to Prime. It's on there for free. I watched it last night. Yeah, it holds up. It holds up full, well. Full frontal surrounded. Oh, it holds up well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you just came back in after skipping that and you got full frontal surrounded, you might go watch it. There you go. In her first role. Think about that. It's her first role. Her first ever scene. Full frontal getting into the bathtub. Yeah. She's fantastic in that movie. Not even the, the nudity part. The acting. <laughs> woo, I'll tell you. Yeah, dude. She just overdoses. Gets shot. Oh, spoilers. And gets shot in the back. Hey, man, it's one of the most compelling overdoses I've ever seen. It might be right up there with train spotting. I don't know. She's got better eyes. I'll say that. It, but again, if you don't get that, because that's, think about the money that they made right there with those Canon films. Canon films started in like 67 ish, and their films are overseas. So you didn't get the major market that they wanted here. This was their first hit. That brought them over here and they made serious coin with this film oh, yeah. that really financed them through the 80s before they started taking out crazy fucking loans and trying to do 30 movies a year. But I mean, this is it's like the start of it right here. Yeah. Go out and watch that movie, man. It's a trip nowadays. It really holds. And up. I think you get a full ass shot of Peter Boyle if you're into that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's all right. <laughs> yeah. He's thinking about it right now. Oh, like, yeah. well. I mean, since you mentioned it. All right, so let's go down to our judge, Dave Schultz, for the final ruling on this game. All right, I'm going to look at these not in order, because, you know, Drew, 
you said Ghost was a fine film, and I can appreciate your opinion on this, but I would actually argue that that wasn't even the best movie dealing with the afterlife that came out in 1990. <laughs> Do you remember a little Bill Cosby vehicle called Ghost, <laughs> Ghost Dad? Dad. <laughs> wow. Come on, man. <laughs> it's like, I'm not, I'm not even going to give a response to that. That's right up there with Cop uh, and a Half. I mean, yeah. I mean, personally, I prefer Kindergarten Cop, but different topics. Okay. 1970. Joe! You know, I'm actually intrigued by a remake because have you ever seen Susan Sarandon's daughter? Yes. Yeah. She's like a spitting image of her mother. Yeah. So you could just cast her in the role and you, you virtually get the same thing. She's a n- complete knockout. Yeah. Did you ever see her in Californication? Again, with the full frontal. Yes, I have. <laughs> oh, she was following in her mom's footsteps. She that sure one. was. And I think that was one of her first big acting jobs. <laughs> her mom said, in your first gig, go full frontal. You'll... <laughs> Take her off. You take him, but you got him by the balls. If you do that. The more you know. <laughs> I do have to ask, though, when we talk about 1980, have you ever been in a Turkish prison? I, <laughs> I believe, I believe Mark has. I really do. But airplane, holy macanoli! I mean, I'm a big fan of like the satire magazines, Mad and Cracked, and all that stuff. But I mean, even if you're not, airplane really influenced a whole generation's sense of humor. Yeah. Oh, definitely. When you think about it. I mean, people still recite lines for that movie, as I just did to this day. I don't know how many people are talking about any lines from Joe. Uh, you, don't, you don't want me to say any lines from Joe. <laughs> Fucking start a riot. 1990, of course, everybody was joining a pottery class, and I appreciate right. Drew bringing that up as well. But I think... Uh, don't discount think... the canon thing that I threw at you. Don't I'm not just... Dis- no. You well, didn't even yeah, mention it. You didn't mention it. See, I like, I like having Dave back here, because when the celebrity guests are on, I'm just like, yeah, all right, cool. Dave's on, I'm like, nah, fuck that. I don't like that, man. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I know. You didn't even mention canon. I like talking. I, I just did. I said it. Canon. Canon <laughs> Films. It's been mentioned. Oh, come whoop, on. Whoop. Yeah. So, anyway. But, you know, here's the thing, too, about Man Crush, is when I do render my, my decision, he's going to try to second guess me and... Bring up the reasons why he should be the victor in this and the whole. I got one fucking caboodle. point, bro. I got marinara on my sauce on my shirt today, and look where <laughs> I am right now. Yeah, I know, right? It's a jinx and a half. But uh, if you couldn't tell where I was leaning with this, I am going to pick 1980 and airplane for the win. Being that the it's part of the Man Crush Three, I get a point. Right. <laughs> you know, I I feel like I have to share this win with Man Crush. <laughs> I still don't win. I only got two points. <laughs> Just go suck the marinara off his shirt, why don't you? Just do that. It's right on the bottom, too. All right. Well, hey, thanks to everybody. That was an excellent game. Man, Drew Zachman, you brought the knowledge this this time. Really enjoyed that music pick. Why don't you? Because t- normally you don't. Do I? I was going to say, do I usually no, not? No, usually don't, man. No. <laughs> what do I provide? <laughs> no, I just I didn't know a lot of that stuff about Mother Love Bone. I mean, that was some that was some good digging, and I learned something. That's the important thing, is that I learned something. The more you know, the more you know. So why don't you tell all of our listeners what's going on on the One Headlight '90s podcast? What do you got coming up, man? Uh, yeah, eventually I'm getting my uh, shit together, and we are going to do a '90s fads. I guess whatever it was, a July now, like a July madness for '90s fads. Um, that's coming up. I have a couple episodes, uh, getting ready to come out for kind of, a 
we're inspired by the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. So we're gonna be, we actually are talking about some '90s NBA stuff too. So nice. you have a lot of things going on over there, and it'll be coming out. Uh, I would say within the next like two weeks. All right, Dave, what's happening on the Selling Out Show? Oh, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, just talking about life and how we screw it up at every turn, and it's you know, it's humorous ways and stuff. But listen, I'm also working on a new project. With the dude I'm looking at right now Me? on camera. Look, his head just popped up like a fucking gopher. Which one? There he <laughs> is, Drew. Drew! <laughs> Which one? Oh, Everybody's head oh, popped hey. up. Hi, oh, how hey. are you? How's it going? Yeah, Drew, how much can we actually say on air about this right now? What are we what? legally able to talk about? Well, it's new, but we can, we can probably tell him uh, a little bit. It's called, we have a new, a new music podcast, and that's where... Uh, so in case you guys can't tell, it's probably where my passion usually lies with music. And uh, I know Dave also is a big music aficionado, so I felt like let's uh, let's collab on something here. So we have a new podcast coming out. I don't know when, uh, but it's called Songs Gone Wrong and where we discuss hit songs from the 70s, 80s, 90s and today. And we kind of uh, go over their merits and basically mm-hmm. we kind of decide if the songs got it right or did the songs go wrong. And the great thing about our new show is that we have our own votes, but then the third and final vote will actually be up to you, the fans. Nice. So I don't know if you want to add anything else to that, Dave. Uh, well, you called me a music aficionado, and that's not completely fair. You did pick me for this project because I was outside your house just saying pinwheel. <laughs> you said, I like that guy. Bring him inside, huh? <laughs> but no, I'm looking forward to starting that and working with Drew, on, and I hope everybody uh, checks it out when it's finally out. In uh, 2023. That's right. <laughs> Post-pandemic. Podcast? What is it? <laughs> all right. And Man Crush, why don't you tell our listeners about all the exciting things coming up on this show on Dueling Decades? Yeah. So we got a couple of guests coming on. Uh, Dave did a fantastic job today, but he will be replaced <laughs> next week. Uh, Chris Barron from the Spin Doctors coming uh, the week after that. I just like I mentioned earlier in the episode, we got uh, Tawny Katane is going to be on. And then uh, we're wrapping up the month with Keith Coogan. We'll be on. So got quite a couple, uh, quite a few guests coming on. Now, if you've missed any of those episodes, you can always go back on our website and everywhere podcasts are found and subscribe to the show on iTunes, on Spotify. And then while you're on the interwebs, why don't you head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash dueling decades, where you can join the other 50,000 duelers and share some of your very own retro memories. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media.